A baby is born in the deep slum in Argentina, near Buenos Aires. His family is a wreck. His mom is single and young. She is an alcoholic. The kid is ill-nurtured, so he has speech impediments and difficulties to express himself, to learn, and will most likely never be fully independent or have a hard time to be fully independent. He's surrounded by extreme poverty and misery, addiction, and violence. He will probably not go to any school at all, and his expected future is to wander in the streetlights begging for money and to fall into addiction himself, sniffing glue in a bag when he turns eight or nine. He will not end up going to a good school where he can earn a future, but most likely he will end up in prison. Does this child have a right to be rescued from this situation? I'd say the answer is complex and has many layers, but to put it briefly, the answer is yes and no. He does have a right in the sense that he's a human being. He needs more, he's made for more, and he deserves more. He doesn't have a right, though, in the sense that he will not be able to sue any particular family for not having adopted him, for not having loved and rescued him. He won't, have, he won't have anyone to blame, so to say, or everybody to blame. A social worker spots the kid when he's three. He's taken into a foster home for adoption, but no one is willing to adopt him, given the challenges that he will have to face. This is when this example becomes a real story. A couple that I know decides to adopt the kid they bring him into their house, they surround him with love, send him to a good school, take care of him, are patient and understanding at the kid's misbehaviors. The kid grows up, he's difficult, he's rebellious, but they keep loving him. And finally, he's able to accept that gratuitous love and becomes a new person with new possibilities, with new resources. He flourishes and bears much fruit. He has a life that he would have not have or he would have not have imagined. We are in a similar situation. We are made for God. We want his kingdom, even if we can't really grasp what that means. But the reality is that we are broken. We want what is the best but we cannot seem to achieve it on our own. We are broken, we're sinners. We are stuck in the mud of our contradictions. We belong to a crooked race and find ourselves in a great predicament. We cannot push ourselves to where we have to go. Look around. Broken families, broken relationships, addictions of all sorts, isolation, depression, Today, I heard from one person that a young adult just committed suicide. Depression, lack of meaning and purpose, poverty, racism, violence, sexual violence, violence against minors, 
against women, oppression, exploitation, abuse of natural resources, lies, vanity, gossip, rivalry, greed, pride. Look at your own heart. If you know your heart, you know what I mean. We are selfish, we are sinners in different ways. And I am insisting in this point because it's the needed backdrop to understand Jesus' teachings today. We don't have the right to be saved. We don't have the right to go to heaven or to experience God's love now or to be adopted into his family. We don't have the right to be healed, restored, forgiven, brought into communion with God. We don't have the right to be assumed and elevated into divine life. But yet, that is precisely what has happened. Jesus died on the cross and resurrected so that our sins would be forgiven. Reality is even better than the parable that we just heard. The king has not only forgiven our big debt, but he has stepped down from his throne and taken our place. He paid the debt for us so that we could be filled with the richness of his household. He took it in him so that we could be free. He assumed our guilt so that we could be innocent. St. Paul writes to the Romans, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Instead of death, we receive life eternal now and for free. We don't have to do anything to earn it. For example, take the example of confession. We walk away each time we go to confession free of our sin. It's so easy. We walk into the confessional guilty and you walk out innocent. And this forgiveness is not just one time, but it's renewed, it's continual. It's the mystery of the ongoing mercy of God, always available, always available. And we go on our knees and, and, and we say, forgive me, Lord. Not only through confession. Confession is the main mean, but each time we receive communion with faith, when we repent, the mercy of God is poured into our hearts again and again, 70 times 7. We need to let this truth hit home and sit with us. This is the good news of today's gospel. We are like that servant forgiven by the king again and again. You know, this translation of, of, of the gospel today says a huge amount because I guess when they translated the Bible, they didn't want to deal with the, that ancient currency. It speaks about talents and denarii, and so they said a huge amount. But I think it's an understatement. The original Greek says a myriad of talents. And scholars argue about this, but they say that more or less this servant was forgiven $65 million of today's currency. So we, can, we have an idea of how big was that amount. That's how much he was forgiven, and that's how much we are forgiven. Jesus wanted to make a point. 
So the normal reaction for someone who is forgiven such an amount should be gratitude, humility. He begged as a guilty man, and he walked away innocent and free of debt. But amazingly, he didn't have that reaction. He found a fellow servant who owed him a much smaller amount, they think that more or less $75. Nothing compared with what he owed to the king. He did not forgive him. On the contrary, he sent him to prison. So we are shocked at this reaction, and that is why Jesus told this parable, so that we could be shocked. How could he not forgive those $75? He just was walking out from the palace. So then Jesus turns around and says to us, so you have to forgive your brother from your heart. His teaching today is very clear, I think. We must forgive because we have been forgiven. We must forgive 70 times 7 always because we are continually forgiven. And he has the negative side. If we are not willing to forgive, then we won't be forgiven. This is easy said, not so easily done when we are offended, right? And it could be the case that some of us or some of you have been gravely offended. So Jesus' point in today's parable is not to belittle our wounds as if all our wounds are worth $75, but to put them into, in, in, in the light of the mercy of the Father so that we will feel that we are invited to forgive relentlessly. So how do we do this? How do we forgive 70 times 7? The first point is the one that Jesus makes. Remember that you are forgiven again and again. God forgave you on the cross all the sins that you did and all the sins that you will do. They are already forgiven. You have to, sure, you have to open your heart, go and ask for that forgiveness, but that forgiveness is already granted. So you have to reflect about that. It's the first point. I am a sinner, a forgiven sinner, every day, filled with the mercy of God. The second point is that we cannot rely on our own capacity to forgive, but we need to rely on his grace. In this gospel, Jesus' teachings is about the need of, to forgiveness, to forgive, but he also gives us the means to forgive, the tools that we need by filling our hearts with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit empowers us to forgive from within because when the Holy Spirit comes into our heart, from the heart of Jesus to our heart, it connects us, so to say, with the heart of Jesus. And so it enables us to forgive in him. The Catechism says, be merciful even as your Father is merciful. It's quoting Jesus. And then he says, it says, it is impossible to keep the Lord's commandment by imitating the divine model from outside. There has to be a vital participation coming from the depths of the heart. We need to participate in the heart of Jesus. Otherwise, we can't. We might wish that we could forgive, 
but it's hard to do it. Notice that forgiveness in, in Jesus' teaching and, the, and in the understanding of the church is not so much a feeling, but it's much more a decision from the heart, a strong decision. The heart is that place where our intelligence, our will, our faith, our, the grace of God, where they all work together. That's the heart. So a strong decision not to give in to hatred, not to give in to resentment, not to give in to vengeance, a strong decision to bless and pray for our enemies, for, for that person that has wounded us. Feelings will come along. Feelings will follow in due time. Jesus says, forgive your brother from your heart, not from your guts. Because we don't control our guts, but we control our heart. The decisions that we make, moved by the grace of God. Listen to the catechism again. I think it's beautiful. It says, it is there in the depths of the heart that everything is bound and loosed. It is, not in our own, it is not in our power not to feel or to forget an offense, but the heart that offers itself to the Holy Spirit turns injury into compassion and purifies the memory in transforming the hurt into intercession. So it's not in us to forget about something or not to feel anything about something. But it is in us, with the grace of God, to take a strong decision, a strong stand. And with the aid of the Holy Spirit, we can turn injury into compassion. Think about that. Injury into compassion, into mercy for that person. The Holy Spirit purifies the memory so that it can transform hurt into intercession, to prayer for that person. In the Old Testament that we just read, this could be like a homework for a spiritual homework for the week to reread the first reading. It's a beautiful reading from the book of Sirach. It says, Remember your last days. Set enmity aside. Kind of like memento mori. Remember that you're going to die someday. So put aside any hatred. You don't want to go to the grave and has to face God with, with that in your heart. If you were to face the Lord today, is there anyone that you should be reconciled? Do it, do it quickly. There's no healing without reconciliation. It says in the, in the we, we heard it in the, in the first reading, can anyone nourish anger against another and expect healing from the Lord? There's no salvation without reconciliation. So do as much as you can to reconcile to others. You know, I worked for a while in, in, in Argentina in a hospice. It's called Hospice Buen Samaritano, Good Samaritan. And uh, in this place, we receive, with, with a group of people that founded it, we receive terminal um, people that are facing terminal illness but don't have any... any um, insurance. So they're pretty poor and, and you know, the public hospitals tell them to go home. So they're in a rough position. So we receive them in this place. And we have seen again and again 
that people don't want to die until they reconcile. Once they reconcile with God, once they reconcile with sometimes relatives that they haven't spoken for years, and they come together and they pray and they cry and they, they are reconciled, they die. It's like they're in peace to go. They're prepared. They're ready. It's as if they knew that they could not die. They should not die before doing this. It's amazing. And you can see the peace that comes down to the person and then he's ready to go. I'd say, don't wait. Do it now. Because you will receive that peace as you live, as you go through this journey. If anyone in this church, in this mass today, has any grudges or resentment or hatred or any open wound that feel in this moment that needs to be presented, presented to God, do it in this mass. In a moment, we will receive communion. And when we receive communion, something amazing happens. It's like an exchange of hearts if we want we can offer our heart with all this filthiness and we can say, Lord, this is my heart that holds to this wounds, that holds to this revenge or to this grudge or to this hatred, to this lack of peace. I give it to you and you give me your heart. Let's exchange that. And when you do that and you're willing to let that go, to let, let that flow out from your heart, it happens. It's amazing like in an instant. But you have to be willing to lose, to let it go, to give it to the Lord, give it to him. He will take care of it, and you receive his heart. 